0: As I watch society and I look at the world and I kind of like try to gauge what's going on and I look at it through the lens maybe of the church or church people that we have lost a certain zeal and I look at Good Friday services and how they're down and how many things are taking place in our society, the zeal of the church. And my thought was this. Are we seeing the cross correctly? Are we seeing the cross correctly? Are we really seeing what Jesus did on our behalf? because if we don't see the cross correctly we're going to miss the resurrection altogether because the resurrection comes through the cross if Jesus would have never went to the cross there would never be a resurrection and somehow we have to repicture regather ourselves and see the cross, in order to see the resurrection in its proper manner, in its power, and what it really means to us. If I don't see the cross, I won't see the resurrection. And you cannot separate them. They are one of the same in a sense. You cannot have the resurrection without the cross. And because of the cross, we have the resurrection. And it's strange that sometimes people can see the same picture and yet don't see the same thing. Let's pray. Father, you're the one who has to give us clarity of sight. You're the one who has to help us see the true meaning of Calvary and the resurrection. You're the one, oh God, that have to hold us closely to it. As the songwriter penned, were you there when they crucified my Lord? Were you there? And we have to picture and see ourselves there. And we have to picture and see ourselves in the future as part of the resurrection that Jesus Christ started because he is the first fruit of the resurrection. And it continues on. And one day, Lord, it will happen to us who believe in Jesus Christ. But we pray, Father while we're in this middle section in a sense, that we may have a clear understanding of the cross and of the resurrection. That we might see them as one. That we might see them, Lord, as one event that had to take place for us to have eternal salvation. If Christ would have only died but not come forth from the grave, we would not have eternal salvation. And there could be no resurrection without a death. Minister to us. Open our eyes and draw us closer to thee, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. What do you really see? When you look at the cross, what do you really see? I have a picture in my living room, and that picture is a picture of a young man, silhouette on the outside. But when you really look at the picture a little bit closer, you also see a young boy in the picture. But then if you look a little closer, you see the old man. The old man that is dying in each and every one of us. That old person that's dying in each and every one of us. So in that one picture is the picture of three individuals. And sometimes you just have to look at it to really capture the older gentleman in the picture. But he's there. It is with the cross. People see different things. Some people only see a man dying because that was the way in which the Romans uh, punished many individuals by crucifixion, by putting them on a cross. And therefore, Jesus was just an ordinary man dying on the cross like many others. He wasn't Lord of lords. He wasn't king of kings. He wasn't the son of God. He wasn't the son of man. He wasn't the only mediator between man and God. It just happened. And somehow we kind of moved to that, even within the church. It just happened. But it has no value. It has no weight. We miss that in him that he bore our sins on Calvary. We don't really see that sometimes. The cross of Jesus reveals a picture, and many do not see it the same. The resurrection only takes place by the way of the cross. No other way. Remove the cross, remove the crucifixion of Jesus, and there is no resurrection. Only if you can see who is on the cross can you see who is resurrected. Only if you see who's on the cross do you truly see who is resurrected. The one who died for us is the one who rose for us. The one who died for us is the one who lives for us. If you miss Jesus on the cross, you'll miss him in the resurrection. And it has no meaning. And in our society, even within the church, that is becoming less valued with very little meaning. And we're seeing people just fade away from it. Fade away from it. Rather than running to it. Now, who was there at the cross? When you get into Matthew 27, you will find that the guards were there that spit and struck him. They are the ones who led him to Calvary. They were there. Simon, who they found along the way when Jesus could no longer carry the cross and they called Simon or pulled him out of the crowd to carry the cross. He was there. He was there. There was two robbers. One hanging on the left side, one on the right side. And both of them saw a different picture of the one in the middle. That one would ask, remember me when you enter into your kingdom. And the other never said anything, but just get us off this cross. Two different views. Two different pictures of Jesus. Then, those who passed by and hurled insults at him. And today, people are still hurling insults at Jesus. Saying it didn't happen. He didn't feed the 5,000. He He didn't heal anybody. The insults are still being hurled at him. They were there. Then you had the religious group there, the chief priests, the teachers, the elders. Matthew 27, 41 tells us they were there. Those who should have, in a sense, known better, those who should have really studied and understood that this was going to have to happen to the Messiah according to Isaiah 53. This was going to have to happen. But yet, religious people missed it. As many religious people today are missing it. They're religious, but they have no deep seated love for Jesus nor his church. They're religious, and they're missing, they're missing, they're missing all that God would have for them. And then the centurion and the guards who were there to guard Jesus, they witnessed the earthquake and all that took place. But then to hear the centurion's remarks. Surely he was the son of God. He caught it. He understood it. He couldn't change it because it's God's will that his son would go to the cross. But he caught the picture. And it changed him. Are you catching the picture and it's changing you? Are you really seeing Jesus and he's changing you? Or does it matter at all? The centurion says, surely he was the son of God. He's there. He's witnessing what is taking place. Then in Luke 23, verse 27 says, a large number followed A large number followed. So there's a large number seeing Jesus dying on Calvary. But what is this man dying for? Is he dying because he's a thief? Is he dying because he broke some law? Is he being crucified and punished for denouncing certain things that should not have been denounced of the Roman Empire? what was his real crime? What did he really do? A large crowd followed. Isn't it strange today? When people hear gunfire a lot of times, they don't run away from it. They run where? They want to see. They want to see. And isn't it amazing how many different stories you hear about what took place because this person witnessed this and this person witnessed that and this person seen this and this person heard this and this person heard that and yet all the different things that are said about that one scene here is a large number falling to witness and to see what's taking place on Calvary go to Romans chapter 6 and let's see if we can do some connecting of the dots because unless we connect the dots we're not going to understand it Romans 6 and verse 23 many of you know this verse For he says, For the wages of sin is death. For the wages of sin is death. That on the cross, what we see is Jesus Christ paying my debt, not for his sin, but mine. Can you see that? Can you see an innocent man dying in your place? For the songwriter pens and asks the question, were you there when they crucified my Lord? You were there even though you were not yet born, you were there. Why? Because Jesus said he dies for all. And you were not yet present, but you're included in the all. That he would die for all. That he would bear the sins. Of every one of us. He would bear my sin. Your sin. He would die. For us. And for some people that means nothing. It's amazing sometimes. I don't care what you do for people. They never really appreciate what you do. And there are people that. In life, sometimes you'll never forget them. In Vietnam, I had a West Virginia friend that was used to hunting squirrels, and he was a sharpshooter before he ever knew he was a sharpshooter. And Lee was great. And Cruz was great. And those two men that I'll never forget. I'll never forget them. are there people in your life that you'll never forget because of what they've done for you? Now, I want you to ask yourself this question. Is Jesus in that group? Is Jesus in that group? Is he one of those individuals that you'll never forget because of what he's done for you? And you understand it, that he bore your sins, took your death, died in your place, went to your tomb, and came forth the third day representing you, That when you die, that you know absent from the body would be present with the Lord because you're going to be resurrected from there. Can you see that in the cross? That he bore your sin? Can you see that in the resurrection? He was the first fruit and you will follow. Go to Hebrews chapter 2. For he did something else for us. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 9. Because this is something every one of us should have to go through. But because he went through it on our behalf, we don't have to go through it. And that's why scripture asks, where is your sting, O death? Where is your victory, O grave? Because Christ has overcome it on our behalf. So in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 9 he said, but we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels. Do you understand what's being said? Do you understand who, who was on the cross? It was God on the cross who had took on the form of humanity and he's made a little lower than the angels that he might suffer on our behalf. He came into this world as a human being, as a man, and took on that form of a man. But yet, it was God. So when you look at the cross, you're not only seeing the man, but you're seeing God also suffering for you. What you couldn't do for yourself, he did for you. He did for you. So he simply says, but we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death. He suffered death. What kind of honor Is in that. But he recognizes that he died for his creation. And his creation would honor who? How many of you, when you look at the cross, honor it? It's not just a piece of jewelry that you wear around your neck. It's not just three crosses you see along the highway. But do you honor what Jesus did for you? Do you give him honor? Do you give him reverence? Do you give him a high respect because of what he has done for you? Look at what else he's done. He suffered death so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for every one of us. That he might taste death for every one. That the pain of death would not be there for you. That the pain of death would not be a suffering, yelling, screaming terrible thing, but yet death can be joyful. Death can be delightful. Death can be a deliverance from something. Death is my way home. How many of you really understand that? And yet, because he came forth from the grave, it allows us to know when that casket is going down, that person is already up. See, we don't think about death much and we don't want to talk about death much. But it's part of life. And none of you will be late for it. You're going to be on time. And the question will be, do you know which way you're going? Are you going up or are you going down? The decision has to be made now. Not later, but now. So when you see the cross, there's a decision that has to be made. Will you be resurrected into eternal life? Or into eternal damnation. And he died that you might be free. From sin. You might be free from the penalty. Of sin. And that's why he says He tasted death. For us. Now let's put it in the right perspective also here. Death. Biblically. It's not physical death. Death in the Bible is talking about a separation between you and God. That's the real death. Is that there's a separation between you and your creator. There's a separation between you and your savior. That's death. When you are separated from God. That's the real death. Because once we are born, we are born as eternal beings. And we live here only for a moment. This time is only for a moment. It's not forever. But the next life is forever, 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 forever. But the decision is made now. And when you look at the cross, it demands a decision. It it demands a decision. Do you believe or don't you believe? Do you accept or don't you accept? You have a decision to make. The right decision leads to the resurrection. The wrong decision does not lead to the resurrection with eternal life, but resurrection with damnation. And he says he tasted death for each and every one of us. Run over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Let's go to verse fifteen. And he died for all. Catch that for a moment. What does all mean? All. He died for all humanity. He just didn't die for this group, that group, this group over here, this group. No, he died for us all. For he says in the scriptures, all have sinned. He died for who? For all. And he goes on and he says, and he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves. Boy, that's a huge lesson right there. But I want you to look at the cross again. For on the cross, Jesus was not living for who? He was not dying for who? For himself. He lived and he died for us. And therefore, Romans 12, 1 says, It's your reasonable service that you should live and die for Christ. Because that's what he's done for you. But you only do that as you really learn how to appreciate another. See, there was 14 of us in my family, 11 boys and 3 girls. And I thought my dad was a monster sometimes. My dad could line up all nine of us, because there were nine boys that slept up on the third floor. We had our beds, and three in this bed, three in this bed, and three over in the last bed, and so forth. And a window got broke upstairs, and nobody was talking. Nobody would say who broke the window. So he just lined all nine of us up, and he just started whooping, coming down the line. Well, you can imagine, everybody tried to be the last one, hoping he'd be wore out, time he got to the last one. But the point is this. I didn't learn to appreciate my dad until I started hearing his story. That he only seen his dad maybe five times in his whole life. I didn't start appreciating my dad until I learned how he was abused and he was going to take the shotgun from behind the door and the man that his mother, my grandmother, was living with, if he beat him again when he took his nap, he wasn't going to wake up. I didn't begin to appreciate my dad until I started hearing some of his story and his life. And then seeing a man who never allowed us to go hungry one day. Seeing a man who would go to Sarbelin Rubber Company, come home with his hands swollen and have to soak his hands in order to get ready for the next day from pulling rubber. Always had a roof over our head. Always had what we needed, but That was his job. That was his job. That's what he was supposed to do. I didn't ask to come here. Didn't understand it that he did it out of love. When you look at that cross, remember Jesus didn't have to do it. But he did it And when you really understand that he did it out of love, you will respond in love. But until you really understand that and appreciate what he's done, your response is more out of duty than it is out of love. And anybody will tell you they'd rather be loved because you love them rather than be taken care of out of duty. Two different effects. And when you see the cross, you see the love. And when you see the resurrection, it's not because of him that he came forth out of that grave. It was for who? For us. To give us a hope. To give us a certainty. That one day, we too will be absent from the body, absent from the grave, and with the Lord. And that death is not final. It's only the beginning. It's only the beginning for us in a new life. And he, again, he just simply says, boy, he died for all. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Both events were for who? For us. His death and resurrection was for us but it also teaches us that we no longer live for ourselves. Ask yourself this question. Who are you really living for? Do, when you go to work, do you go to work for the glory of the Lord? Do you go to work to really shine for Him? Do you go the extra mile for Him at work? See, oftentimes, everything we do in life We do it for who? Self. That's that's the main purpose. I'm the number one person in my life. When you learn this little lesson, you don't have to be responsible for you. Now, that don't take you off the hook. It puts you on the hook. Because God is responsible for you and how you act, how you perform, how you live, allow people to see him in your life. You're not responsible for you, you are responsible for him and how people picture and see Jesus by how you live. That's why he says that you no longer live for yourself. Now you are living for him. And that's something that you have to learn to do. You have to teach yourself to do. You have to practice it. That is not about me. It's about someone else. And the Jesus they see in me. And that's hard to die to self. But without dying to self, you will only live for self. But when you learn to deny yourself, then you will live for someone else. For the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, there's a lesson. And he died for all. That those who live should no longer live for themselves. Why? What we see in the cross is this. Not Christ living for himself. But living for the Father. Living for us. Dying for us. Let's close out with First Peter. Chapter 2. First Peter. Chapter 2. 21 through 25. we're just going to take our time and kind of like walk through it. To this you were called. To this you were called. Understand something. God doesn't make anybody serve him. He doesn't make anyone serve him. He doesn't force you to serve him. He doesn't force you to get up on Sunday morning and come to church. He doesn't force you to pray. He doesn't force you to do anything. He calls you to it. Then you have to be willing to perform it. He calls you into it. And then he teaches you how to perform. He teaches you how to live it. He doesn't force you to live it. He'll teach you and you have to make the choice now of how you're going to live, how you're going to perform, how you're going to act, what your conduct is going to be, what your language is going to be, your English is going to be, how you're going to speak to others, if you're going to be kind, if you're going to be gentle. He teaches us. He teaches us. To this you were called. Why? Because Christ suffered for you. Catch it? The reason Pastor Brown conducts himself a certain way is because I'm called. Because you conduct yourself as a godly woman, it's because you're called. Because you conduct yourself as a godly man, you are called. Because you conduct yourself as a godly young person, a young teenager, is because you are called. Because of what he has done. Because of what he has done then we perform. And he goes on and he says, To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example. He didn't just say do it. He gave you an example of how to live the Christian life. He showed you how to be gentle, to speak with a kind word. He showed you how to be quiet. Don't always have to answer. But to be quiet. He showed you how to work with those who are highly educated. He showed you how to work with those who are less educated. He showed you how to work with the rich. He showed you how to work with the poor. He showed you life. And it says he was our example in everything, in everything. He's our example that you should follow in his steps. Not in Pastor Brown's steps, not in Elder So-and-So's steps, not in Deacon So-and-So's steps. You ain't got one person to please in this world, Jesus Christ. You follow him and him alone. You get into the word of God and you dig and you learn how to live as Christ would have you to live. Look at 22 now. Because it clarifies something. Some people would say because he was in human form he had to at least be tempted by sin. Uh, hey, we're all tempted, and most likely even Jesus was tempted, but he didn't sin. He didn't sin. And therefore he said he committed no sin. In other words, he was sinless. When he went to that cross, he was sinless. There was no charge they could really bring against him. And as the song said, He was found innocent, and no guilt was found in him. 23. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. One of the marks of really being a Christian is that you do not retaliate. You do not retaliate. Why? Love covers a multitude of what? False. I don't have to snap at everything that displeases me. Elaine has 101 excuses to leave me. It's hard to live with me. It's hard for me to live with me sometimes. But she doesn't retaliate. No retaliation. And it said that Jesus did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Boy, that's hard to learn, isn't it? But when you look at the cross, all those who are going by, making remarks to him on the cross. He made none back. He didn't even yell out to them, I'm innocent, I'm innocent. I shouldn't be here. I shouldn't be suffering for this. here's what we have to learn how to do. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judged justly. How many of you trust in God to fight your battles? How many of you trust God to speak up for you? How many of you allow God to be able to step into your situations and make a difference. See, that's a learning tool. That we are able to see Jesus just trusting his Father, even in his time of suffering. He's trusting. When things aren't going right for us in life, do we trust In him. When we see the cross, we'll see that. We'll see that. Did Jesus try to skip the the cross? Yes. Father, if this cup can be removed, will you remove? But not my will, but what? your will be done. Father, can this cup, can this cup be removed? But not my will. When was the last time you prayed, Lord? Not my will. Your will be done in my life. Not my will. Not what I want. But what is it that you want, Lord? And here comes the surrendering part. Even if I suffer, I surrender to you. Even if I suffer, I surrender to you. I trust you. I'm in your hands. I see that in the cross. And I see God's deliverance in the resurrection. And he goes on there and he says, he himself in 24 bore Our sins in his body on the tree. There's the cross. So that we might die to sin. Die to what? Sin. The wages of sin is what? Is death. And live for righteousness. There's the resurrection. We come forth in life to live righteously. For you were like sheep going astray. That's us. But now you have returned to the shepherd. There's Jesus. Now the question is, how many have returned to the shepherd? How many have returned to the shepherd? The overseer of your soul. He bore our sins on the cross. And because of his faithfulness on the cross, we have eternal life. We have eternal life. Closing with this, in Hebrews 12, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfected of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scoring the shame. What did he see on that cross? Now I started with this question. What do you see? Do you see a mediator? Do you see a king of kings? Do you see the Lord of lords? Do you see a deliverer? Do you see a redeemer? Do you see the son of God? Do you see the son of man? Do you see the one who gives life? Now, catch and see what Jesus saw. The scripture in Hebrew says for the joy he adored the cross. Now the question is, what is that joy? You're that joy. 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 joy. What did he see? The transformed lives of his work who now worship his Father, and that's the joy of his suffering on the cross. He saw it. He saw the day in which you would say, Yes, Lord, come into my life and save me. That's his joy. Yes, Lord, not my will. Your will be done. That's His joy. When you're walking in righteousness and honesty and uprightness as a godly woman, a godly man, that's His joy. He was seeing that from the cross, even in His suffering. Sometimes parents don't see what their children will become. But as their children are growing, What keeps them putting into them, pouring into them, giving unto them, is what they think they see they will what? Become. So it don't matter what I'm suffering now. I'm pouring into my child. I'm pouring into my young person. Why? Because of what they will become. The joy that Christ saw from the cross was all of us worshiping his father believing in him. What do you see on the cross? What do you see? Do you really see him? Because if you don't see him, you don't see him in the power of his resurrection. You have to first see him in the cross to see him in the power of his resurrection because what he sees us in is in our resurrected life we were once dead and now have been made alive we are resurrected even before we go to the grave but once we were dead and now have been made alive And we're walking in newness of life. And that's his joy. Live out this Christian life. Live out your resurrected life. Don't accept the Lord Jesus Christ and live as though you are dead to him. But as you are alive to him. He lives for you. You live for him. He's giving you his best. You give him your best. Father, we thank you and praise you that Easter is a time for us to remember what you have done for us. And it's a time for us to remember that you're not in a grave, but you're at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us. And Lord, we thank you that in this life, Lord, you were an example to us. Would you help us, Lord, to be an example to someone else who doesn't believe? Would you help us, Lord, to live in such a way that it will encourage someone else to come to Calvary? Would you somehow, oh God, put the zeal back in our Christianity? Let us not take you for granted. Let us not ignore thee. But, oh, God, help us to embrace all that you are, that we might be all that you desire us to be. For we can be nothing without you. But we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Would you minister to us? As Paul says that we would not be ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it really is the power of God unto salvation. I've not been purchased with gold and silver and precious stone. But we've been purchased, we've been bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Help us to appreciate that. Help us to live in such a way that shows value and richness to the one who has died for us and the one who rose for us and will give you praise and will give you all the glory in Jesus name